0: Uh, The truth I have today, I think, is very, very critical and important for you to really have and understand. And I think it's the biggest thing that we struggle with as Christians today. I was trying to think, how do I wrap up this series? Why Jesus Hates Religion? And the way I want to do it is by answering what it really means to live a gospel-centered life, to teach you what it really means to understand the gospel and completely get rid of religion in your heart. You know, religion, our working definition in your notes there, Religion is man's way to get to God. All world religion basically says the same thing, especially if you study the predominant religions like Muslim and uh, uh, Buddhism and Hinduism and Judaism. Basically, you live by a certain set of standards, codes, ethics, commandments, and you climb a ladder to God. And the harder you work and the more you try and the better you live your life, the higher you achieve uh, to God. That's what all world religion basically teaches. Now, it's slightly different, but they all basically teach the same thing. Jesus was God's way to get to man. Jesus was God's way to get to man because it's not about being good enough. You will never be good enough. One of the most heartbreaking things I hear constantly here in North County is people say, well, how do you get to heaven? Oh, it's about being a good person. How how, how wrong they are. It's not about being a good person. It never was about being a good person. None of us will ever be good enough. Just think about the logic of what you're saying. If it was about being good, then where's the cutoff line? Because if it's about being good, if it's about your performance, if it's about your behavior, it's about your actions, there's got to be a cutoff line somewhere. What's the cutoff line? Is it a million good works? Is it two million good works? Is it 10 million good works? Where's, if it's about being a good person and that's all God expects of you is to be a good person, where's the cutoff line? Let's just say it's a million, for example. Uh, Okay, it's a million good works. How terrible would it be if you were the guy that made it to 999,999 good works? You're not going to go to hell for all of eternity because you missed it by one good works. That's the logic of people say it's just about being good. It's not about being good. It's something so much more than being good. Because none of us will ever be good enough, no matter how hard we work. It's not about being a good person. It's about being a forgiven person. And I want to look at that today. And the message title is Condemnation Kills. Condemnation Kills kills. Uh, Point number one, we're just going to jump right into the first point. Uh, Condemnation kills spiritually, emotionally, and physically. I want you to understand condemnation will kill you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Condemnation is one of the roots of stress. The Mayo Clinic recently released an article that said stress may disrupt almost all of your body's processes and make you more vulnerable to life-threatening health problems that's the damaging effects of stress and when you get to the underlining root of the guilt and the condemnation uh, i did a study on guilt and condemnation this week and people who struggle with guilt and struggle with condemnation and struggle with never feeling good enough and struggle with skeletons in the closet and dark secrets they've never told anybody about a mistake they made years ago that they're still carrying around on the inside and struggling with that guilt everybody from dr oz on tv to the university of Hull in great britain they all said the same thing they say guilt negatively affects your body 's immune system when you struggle with guilt, it negatively affects your body 's immune system and some studies went as far to say that that guilt and condemnation will actually have your cells turn against each other and attack one another and you wonder why so many people are struggling with with, with, with mental disorders and physical disorders. A lot of it has to do with guilt and condemnation you 're carrying around this guilt and it just eats you up on the inside and it kills you physically, emotionally. And it kills you spiritually. It separates you from God. It robs you of intimacy with God. And you need to understand today, one of Satan's primary goals and strategies for your life is in the Bible. It's very clear. Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he wants to accomplish in your life. He wants to steal from you, steal your joy, steal your peace. He wants to rob. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. That is his plan for your life. The Bible calls him the accuser. Satan, literally translated, is the accuser. Romans, or excuse me, Revelation 12 verse 10 says, For the accuser of our brothers and sisters. Satan's primary, and you've got to understand this, the only power Satan has over you, the only power the devil has over you, is the power of accusation, because he was defeated on the cross. He has no power against you, but the power of accusation. And that's... The way he kills you is through accusing you, through condemning you, telling you you're not good enough. You, God will never accept you. God can't love you. Look at your life. Look at the mistakes you made. Don't forget about that skeleton in your closet. Do you think God will really bless you? Do you think God will really love you with, with that skeleton in your closet? And he just constantly accuses you. Even when you do something good, what does Satan tell you? It wasn't good enough. You could have done better why because he wants you to live condemned he wants you to be accused he wants to just eat you up with accusations about you know you'll never be good enough and you're no good and god's not going to hear your prayer god doesn't love you you're not good enough you didn't work hard enough you have failure in your life you have mistakes in your life and that's his job is just accuse 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 and it just destroys us number two Jesus, and you have to get this, Jesus was completely condemned in our place. See, this is what so many people don't understand today. There is no punishment. There is no more condemnation. Jesus suffered the entire punishment and condemnation of God in our place. How many people do you know have the most warped idea of God, that God is this cosmic bully in the sky? God is this cosmic cop just waiting to catch you doing something wrong so he can strike you down with punishment and strike you down with judgment. And you hear the most idiotic things like, oh, God must be punishing that person. How can God punish us when he completely punished Jesus? I mean, think about there's nothing left to give. Jesus died once and for all, Revelation, or excuse me, Romans 6, 9 and 10. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. There's no more punishment. There's no more judgment. There's no more condemnation coming because Jesus was completely condemned in our place. See, this this word consider in the Greek is the word uh, logizomai, which is a Greek accounting term. It means to compute or calculate or to reckon. He's saying you need to calculate yourself a zero balance on sin. Even when you commit the action of sin, even when you fail, even when you make a mistake, the Bible says you need to calculate that a zero balance. A zero balance. Why? Because Jesus already paid for it. He paid for it on the cross so that you could live the rest of your life with a zero balance. Every time you sin, zero balance. This is Scripture. This is the Word of God. Why? Let me ask you a question in your notes. Did Jesus die to the power and influence of sin, or did he die to the imputation and penalty of sin? He died to letter B, the imputation and penalty of sin. Jesus was never under the power of sin. He was never under the influence of sin. Jesus was without sin. He was the only perfect human being to ever live on planet Earth. Never sinned, never struggled with sin, never was under the power of sin. He died to sin that was imputed upon him that was our sin. He died for our sin, not his sin. He was without sin. And you have to understand this. Let me give you a a very simple theology lesson. First, look at Romans 6, verse 14. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. You live under the freedom of God's grace. Now, let me give you a quick theology lesson from our Good Friday service. Theology of two substitutions. The theology of two substitutions. And if you can get this, it'll change your life. Because so many Christians today only understand half of this. So many Christians today only really receive 50% of what Jesus died for. There were two substitutions that occurred on the cross of Jesus Christ. And you have to get this. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That's the first substitution. Jesus was substituted in our place. We were the sinners. He was perfect. He was without sin and God substituted us. for God put Jesus on the cross instead of us. He was substituted in our place. That's the first substitution. And unfortunately, that's where most people stop. Most people never even get into the second substitution. What's the second substitution? Second half of this verse. That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let me explain it like this. God treated Jesus the way you deserve to be treated so that God can treat you the way Jesus deserves to be treated. Isn't that incredible? That's why we say good news, because it's good. Good news isn't God's going to judge you and condemn you and beat you up and punish you. That's not good news. And that doesn't make any sense because Jesus was completely condemned on your behalf. I know so many Christians who struggle with this that don't get this. And it's the reason they live powerless Christian lives, because they, 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 they think for some reason they're flawed or they've made a mistake. And, 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 yeah, they can get into heaven and God will pardon them. But because of the mistakes and because of the sin and because of the, you know, the skeleton in their closet, they can never really be righteous. They can never truly be worthy. They can never really be accepted by God because of their past. And there's nothing further from the truth. Because it has nothing to do with your moral performance or your behavior or your life. It has everything to do with what Jesus did on the cross. Let me illustrate it like this. Imagine being in prison, having a life sentence, never having freedom, being confined to a cell for the rest of your life. How miserable and, and just horrible that would be to be confined to a cell for the rest of your life. Never being able to explore the earth, never being able to enjoy your family, being locked up forever until you die. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes to you and tells you, You've been granted a presidential pardon. You're now free to go. Imagine how liberating that would be. Imagine how incredible that would be, uh, that would feel to, to be in prison for the rest of your life, and then all of a sudden to receive this presidential pardon and be allowed to go free. Now, that's only half of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, that's only half of it. And the problem is the majority of Christians today have only received that half of the cross. They haven't received the second half. What's the second half? Imagine now after being pardoned and now being free, the president comes to you and bestows upon you the medal of honor. Last night, uh, uh, Jim Castleman, who's heading up our uh, barbecue dream team, he's the crew chief out there just running all his former lieutenant colonel in the Marine Corps. He was giving me a little bit of history and a little bit of uh, uh, research on the Medal of Honor that I didn't quite understand. He said, when you have the Medal of Honor, uh, you are never required to go through an inspection again. If you're in the military, you will never be, you will never be in a position where you can be condemned if you have the Medal of Honor. You'll never be required to have another inspection. And every person in the military, from general to private, is required to suit, salute you if you're wearing the Medal of Honor. And I thought, man, that's the perfect illustration of what I'm trying to communicate. When you have that Medal of Honor around your neck, you can't ever be condemned. You'll never go through an inspection, you'll never go through a judgment. No judgment can ever be passed upon you. You can never be condemned if you have the medal of honor around your neck. I mean, it means everybody is required to salute you because you've got this medal of honor. I want you to understand Jesus did not just pay for your pardon on the cross. Jesus also earned the medal of honor on that cross. And God now takes the medal of honor that Jesus Christ earned and puts it around your neck. That's the second substitution you have to get. This will change your life. I'm telling, I don't know how many Christians struggle with understanding that I am righteous, I am holy, I am worthy. Not because I'm a good person, not because I lived really well, not because I'm without sin. I did it because Jesus earned it on the cross. His righteousness, that, that, that medal of righteousness, that medal of honor now hangs around my neck. He earned it. He paid for it. And so God now treats me as if I earned it. God now treats me as if I'm worthy. And that's why I'm telling you, it's not about being a good person. None of of you will ever be good enough. Your grandmother isn't ever going to be good enough. I'm sorry, she's not. The only thing that matters is, are you wearing the medal of righteousness Jesus earned on the cross? Are you wearing that medal of... I love the way Peter says it, 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He... Who himself bore our sins in his own body. Again, there's that first substitute. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. We now get to be righteous. Now, I want you to look at this hyphen. In the Greek, that hyphen stands for something. It basically means these last six words are directly connected to the first half of the verse. So many people want these last six words to be true in their life. By whose stripes you were healed. They want their healing. They want their their, their whatever miracle they're looking for. Let me explain something. You'll never get the last six words until you understand the first half of that verse. And that first half is the two substitutions. Why? Because when you genuinely... See, when when you don't know whether or not God's going to heal you because you don't know if you're good enough. You don't know if you've earned it. You don't know if you lived well enough. You'll never be in a posture to really receive from God the miracle you need. But when you truly have a revelation from God that you are righteous, that you are worthy, that you're wearing the medal of honor, you are positioning yourself perfectly to receive the miracle you need from God. That's why this is connected in the Greek. That's why he's saying, listen, if you want the last six words to be true about your life, you need to understand the first half. That you, not only Jesus didn't just pay for your sin to pardon you, but he also put the medal of honor around your neck. Jesus was completely condemned on our behalf. Number three, this is the key that I want you to leave with with this series. If you'll get this, I'm telling you, it'll change your life. We must receive his gift of no condemnation. I want you to walk out of here today knowing that you are not condemned. Knowing that you are not guilty. Knowing that there is no punishment coming. Jesus was completely punished there's none left God is not waiting to strike you down because you're not good enough that is the worst I don't know where we got that in the world today that God is just this bully waiting to strike us down and punish us he completely punished Jesus so that he could declare you not guilty Romans 8 verse 1, my, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. People who get this verse, uh, I know people who have been set free from pornography, set free from addiction, set free from all sorts of things when they really had a revelation of this verse. Look at this. So the word so means it's tying in chapter 7. He's basically saying all of chapter 7 now concludes with this. So now is what he's saying. What was chapter 7? The sin I don't want to do, I do, The, the things I should be doing, I should be. He's basically talking about a struggle with the action of sin. And what I want you to understand with the Apostle Paul, when he uses the word sin in the book of Romans, he always uses it as a noun. Only twice out of 40 times does he use the word sin as a verb. He's talking about being a slave to sin, not the action of sin. Because we'll all struggle from time to time with actions of sin. We're human, but we are no longer under sin. We are under righteousness. And in the same way, the word righteousness in the book of Romans was always taught as a noun and not a verb. And unfortunately, in the world today, you hear righteousness taught so often as a verb. Righteousness is something you do. Righteousness is the way you live. Righteousness is working really hard. No, 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 no. Righteousness is something Jesus earned on the cross and he gives to you by grace. You are righteous today, not because of how good you live or how perfect you are. You're righteous today because of what he did. Righteousness is your last name as a believer. You don't earn your last name. Your last name is given to you by birth. When you are born again as a Christian, when you become in Christ, your new last name becomes righteousness and there's nothing you can do about it. You can go out and sin, and you still can't lose your last name. That's right. I know some of the religious people have a really hard time with that statement. No, 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 no. Look at this. So now, this word now in the Greek literally translated means now. Right now. Right now. Not next week. Now. Not, 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 not 2,000 years ago. Now. Right now. Right now. Right now in your life. Now, there is no condemnation. For those who are in Jesus Christ, God is not waiting to punish you. God is not waiting. There's none coming. It's been done. Jesus was completely condemned so that God can declare you not guilty. And the reason we struggle with this is because when God says something, he means it literally. When we say something, we don't quite mean it. Like, you know, you hear someone says, I don't have any money right now. Because they only have five dollars in their pocket, so they're saying, "Well, I don't have, no, I don't have no money right now," because they just got five dollars. Or, or it's like our wives when they say, "I don't have anything to wear," even though there's a closet full of clothes. See, God, sorry, you'll learn about that in the marriage conference coming up. When God says no, He means no. He doesn't mean no like I only have five dollars and I don't have no money. God means no. There's no condemnation coming to those that are in christ jesus robert morris one of my favorite pastors he was he was talking about this verse and he was reading it in the message bible and in the message bible it says i have declared you not guilty and he kind of chuckled in his in his prayer time as he read that And he said uh, you know th- th- that's nice god i know you wrote that but you and i both know the truth I mean, how many of us have felt that way you know you read that i've declared you not guilty and, and you kind of say to yourself yeah yeah but god come on me and you know the truth and it, it, he said it was like he offended God deeply. And God said to him, Robert, do you think I was lying when I said you were not guilty? He said, but God, look at my life. Look at, look at the mistakes I've made. Look at, look, look at, look at my past. How, how can you declare me not guilty? And this is what God told him. He said, Robert, I declared my son guilty so that I could declare you not guilty. And that's why the role of the Holy Spirit is to convict you of righteousness. See, nowhere in the Bible does it say the Holy Spirit convicts us of sins. It says the Holy Spirit convicts of sin, one sin, one specific singular sin. You know, the Holy Spirit doesn't need to convict us of sin. God gave us a conscience. We know when we blow it. We don't need the Holy Spirit to tell us we blow it. We know we blow it. The, we need the Holy Spirit to convict us of our righteousness. John chapter 16, uh, verse 8 says, And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin in the Greek, that is singular, one sin, and it explains it in a moment, and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me. The only sin the Holy Spirit convicts of is not believing in Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only sin. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is trying to draw you to salvation. So the only sin he will convict you of is not really believing and not having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then it goes on to Christians of righteousness because I go to my father no more. The Holy Spirit wants to convict you of your righteousness. Let me explain how he does this. When you blow it, when you fail, let's say tomorrow morning you wake up and you just blow it with a big sin, whatever it is. The Holy Spirit wants to come inside of you with a massive spotlight. And he just wants to illuminate everything inside of you and say, look, look. I know you just failed. I know you just sinned, but all we see is the blood of Jesus. You're perfect still. There's nothing here. There's nothing on your record. I know you just sinned, but there's nothing on your record. You're still clean. You're still under the blood. You're still righteousness. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do is just illuminate inside of you your righteousness. Why? Because the Holy Spirit knows when you really understand your righteousness, when you really get the fact that you are not condemned, your desire for sin will begin to go away, that you'll begin to overcome addictions you've struggled with your whole life. You'll begin to overcome sins that you've struggled with your whole life. Why? Because you've received no condemnation. See, when you believe you're condemned, when you believe you're guilty, when you believe you're not good enough, when you believe that, that, that you don't really know whether or not God accepts you or not, or whether, you know, how am I standing today with God? Am I good enough today? Is God going to accept me today? You're always going to struggle. See, the key to overcoming, the key to, to, to having a, a, a free life in grace is to understand there's no condemnation, that you are completely righteous. And let me illustrate this in the life of Jesus. In John chapter 8, I'm going to close with this story. John chapter 8, in verse 3, it says, Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now, Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him that they might have something which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear. I love this story. Why? Because so many of you have thought for so long that God is out to get you. Do you remember Jesus said, if you want to know what the father is like, look at me. Because I'm like my father. Tell me. As we read this story, if it sounds like there is a God out there to get you, a God out there to judge you, a God out there to condemn you, a God out there to punish you. Because Jesus is trying to show you what the nature of him and his father is all about. Verse 7. So when they continued to ask him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went away one by one beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. I would have loved to know what Jesus was writing on the ground that day. Yeah, I, I, I kind of have an idea he w- he was listing these guys' sins on the ground. John, da-da-da, Alfred, da-da-da, Bob, da-da-da. I love this story. I mean, I just love it that, that we have a Lord and a God that is not... You know, John 3.16 is probably the most famous verse in the world uh, out of the Bible. Do you know what the very next verse is, John 3.17? six seventeen? I did not send my son to, to condemn the world but to save the world. God's not here to condemn you. He's not here to condemn you. He already condemned Jesus. And I could only imagine this one. Can you can you just think for a moment what it must have been like to be this woman, you're caught in the act of adultery. You're being publicly humiliated. They're about to stone you, which is one of the most painful deaths you can imagine. Can you imagine the terror, the, 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 the absolute fear this woman was going through? I mean, can you imagine the shame? We know she was married. We don't know if she had kids. If she had kids, this is the last thing her kids are ever going to know about her. Is that your mom was stoned to death for being a sinner. And I love it because all of these guys would have stoned her if they could, but they couldn't. Jesus said, who's ever without sin, let him cast the first stone. And there was only one person left standing, and that was Jesus. See, Jesus could have stoned her if he would, but he wouldn't. And I love the fact that we have a God that wants to say to you, neither do I condemn you. You've been condemning yourself. A lot of you have been condemning yourself. Satan's been condemning you, but you've been helping him. Because you haven't let go of that thing. And you need to hear the words of Jesus this morning. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What I love about that statement is Jesus... See, we think if if, if we don't condemn people, we're, we're compromising. We're condoning their sin. No, Jesus doesn't condone sin here. Jesus doesn't compromise his values or his morals here. See, you can live a no condemnation and a no compromise life at the same time. Jesus hates sin, but he loves sinners. He hates sin because he knows it's destructive. He knows it's painful. He knows it breaks hearts. He knows it hurts people. You know, Jesus hates sin the same way Jesus hates car wrecks. He loves people that have been in car wrecks. He just hates car wrecks. Why? Because they hurt people. Jesus isn't compromising sin here. But Jesus realizes that if he tells her, go and sin no more, and then I'm not going to condemn you, it'll never happen. See, the power for her to go and sin no more is for her to realize she's not condemned. Remember the lame man? What did Jesus tell the lame man before he healed him? He said, your sins are forgiven. See, again, he gives this guy the gift of no condemnation, puts him in a position to receive healing. See, you have to understand your righteousness today. You have to receive the gift of no condemnation today. You have to know that whatever you're carrying around, that dark secret, that inadequacy, that insecurity, whether or not God's going to accept me or I'm good enough. You have to hear the verdict today, not guilty. Neither do I condemn you. God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. That's why Christianity is so radically different from religion. That's exactly why the Romans called us atheists for the first two hundred years. Because what we said about God was so far fetched, it was unbelievable. Nobody would ever make those claims about God. You have to earn God's approval. You got to work really hard to get to God. You got to live a really good life to be accepted by God. God just can't declare you not guilty. That doesn't make any sense. He can, because he declared his son guilty. Receive the pardon receive the righteousness the two substitutions he paid for on the cross would you close your eyes with me i just want to ask anybody here today that needs to receive the verdict not guilty over your life maybe you need to receive it for the first time you're not a christian you're not part of god's family today you're not in relationship with him and you need to understand today god does not want to be your religion he wants to be your dad Or maybe there's some of you today that walked away from God, maybe because of religion. You saw the ugliness of religion and you said, there's no way this can be real because you saw the ugliness of religion and you walked away from a loving God because men manipulated his message and turned it into religion. Or maybe some of you have been in church, but you're realizing now that you're not really under a gospel, you're under a religion. And you have to receive that verdict. You got you to accept the gift that Jesus wants to desperately give you today. No condemnation. No condemnation. Let me give you the gift of no condemnation today. Let me declare over your life not guilty. Let me award you the medal of righteousness and put it around your neck so that you are completely righteous. I've paid for it. It's already been done. All you have to do is put it around your neck. That's it. Just receive it this morning. So if you're in any one of those situations, we're not going to take long, and I'm not going to ask you to come forward, a single you out, embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. If you need to receive that prayer today, with every eye closed, would you raise your hand quickly and just say, please pray for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you, thank you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask right now that the Holy Spirit would come into this room in such a powerful way and convict these people of righteousness. Convict them that by receiving this this verdict of not guilty over their life, they're receiving all of the righteousness Jesus Christ earned on the cross. That they can stand today with boldness and humility. Humility because they know they're sinners. Boldness because they know that they're loved and accepted. And they know they're righteous and worthy because of the blood of Jesus Christ, not because of their own efforts thank you for them. For those of you that need to make the decision to really become part of God's family today, just in your own way right now, would you just say, God, uh, I really don't know what this means and even fully what to do, but I, I know I need you. So come today into my life. Just, just tell God that in your own words. It doesn't need to be fancy or a certain formula. Just say, God, I need you in my life right now. And let me take it one more step. You can look up here for just a moment. If you prayed that prayer today to really, you know, if you, if you made one of these decisions on your connection card, there's two decisions. I'm committing my life to Christ today. That's those of you who made a decision to become part of God's family for the first time, or I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. If you came back to God this morning, I would encourage you on your own to check one of those boxes. You can drop it off in one of the tithe and offering boxes as you leave today. Uh, You can pick up this book outside at our table, Now What? It's a great book to figure out what to do next. You know, when you make that decision, now what? Here's a great book for you. Uh, drop the card off. We want to connect with you and give you the tools to walk out the decision you're making today. And more than that, I would encourage you, if you if you made that decision today, come be water baptized. You know, just right after service, come be water baptized. Take the plunge. Jump in there. You know, it, it's a powerful, powerful statement of the commitment you made in your heart this morning. It's going to be good. Stand with me as we close. I just want to pray a prayer blessing over you. As you're outside this morning, thank the Dream Team that worked so hard. Some of those guys spent the night here last night guarding the meat. Just just say thank you to them. This will be the official prayer for lunch, so you can eat meat when you leave here. Father, bless this barbecue today. Let us be a celebration to bring you glory, to build community, to build our family. And as we leave today, let us all hear those words reverberate inside of us. Not guilty, not guilty, not guilty. Let us truly receive that verdict over our life today. That we are not guilty. That we are not condemned. That we have the medal of righteousness around our neck. God, give that to us. Holy Spirit, you know how inadequate I am to really communicate this truth. If you don't impress it upon them. If you don't reveal it, if you don't turn a light bulb on inside of them, I I am way too inadequate to really communicate this message the way it deserves to be communicated. So Holy Spirit, do what I don't have the power to do. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful barbecue.